All right, welcome to the first of its kind, world-changing manufacturers network. Lisa Ryan has her ears to the ground and her heart in the game. Get ongoing education and new connections right here with Lisa and the manufacturers network. Buckle your seat, listen, and spread the word. Here's Lisa. Hey, it's Lisa Ryan, and welcome to the Manufacturers Network podcast. Our guest today is Mark Witten. Mark is president and CEO of Spartanburg Steel Products. Spartanburg specializes in the design, development, and manufacturing of high-quality complex metal stampings and welded assemblies, serving the automotive, heavy truck, power lawn and garden, construction, utility, and off-road vehicle manufacturing industries. A passionate leader with 25 years of manufacturing experience, leadership, and strategic direction, Mark has achieved business success and transformation through engagement and collaboration. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Lisa. Glad to be here. So Mark, share with us some of your background and what led you to doing what you're doing right now with Spartanburg. Well, I'm Canadian, worked in in Canada for many years before I came to, I went to actually went to Mexico first. So I started my career with General Motors uh, at Cami, which, which was a Suzuki joint venture GM plant. Did a number of different roles there. This was after a Freightliner, it sounded Freightliner, then GM, and then I ended up at Magna International, which is a, a tier one automotive supplier. Worked for Magna, was seven years, and then I had the opportunity to go to Mexico as an assistant plant manager. So I moved uh, my wife and children. We went to Mexico, Hermosillo, and were there for six years uh, before coming back to Canada, again, as a general manager for Magna, and then came to the U.S. in 2015. Um, did a, did a, a short stint as a, as a plant manager for a seating facility in the Cleveland area, and then I was Recruited to Martin Rea, another Canadian automotive supplier for their Kentucky plant in, in uh, Shelbyville. Uh, there a few years, and then I did a director of ops role. I had four plants under me at the time, uh, and then and then had an opportunity to come to Spartanburg Steel Products as president and CEO in March of 2020, just at the same time that COVID landed. Literally within weeks, as I as I uh, got here, we started, you know, basically uh, acting in the uh, protocols for uh, for COVID. Wow. Isn't it funny from now until the end of time, those of us in the know, anytime somebody says March of 2020, we will all go, ooh. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. So when you joined Spartanburg, what was the culture like and what were some of the things that you noticed and started to change? Well, um, um, Spartanburg is a privately held company, family owned business. They've owned the business for 40 plus years. Uh, it's a good company, good people. I think just that, that over time, um, performance had eroded the culture. You know, when you have those situations where the company's not making money and you've got customer issues and quality issues, the culture also takes an impact there. The people feel it, leadership feels it. So my, my task coming in here really was to, to, to grow the business back to what it once was. It's, this is, you know, a prominent BMW supplier. Uh, we're 12 miles from from Plant 10 Spartanburg, which which is building all the X model BMWs. So uh, it was really really a couple of things: build a relationship back with customers, you know, really focus on the culture of the company and making sure we were doing the right things to engage people. I always talk about that hearts and minds, 
and, and ultimately drive performance, uh, you know, business results, good quality, you know, profitability and these kinds of things. And so the last two years have been a journey uh, of doing exactly that. We've, we've coined it SSP 2.0, so Spartanburg Steel Products 2.0. And the 2.0 really is, I, I wanted to honor 1.0. I mean, a company that's been around 40 years and BMW supplier has had good success. And I wanted, I didn't want to take anything away from the people that have been here 25 plus years. I wanted to honor 1.0 as, as, as the foundation, but ultimately focus on 2.0, which has to be the future. You know, the world's changing and, and you and I both know, Lisa, it's changing exponentially since March of 2020, things continuously change. So really it's focusing on engaging people, giving cause and purpose, clarity around goals, giving the tools and training to the people that need it. Uh, these kinds of things. And that's really been our focus here. And 2.0 is all about that. It's about performance. It's about engagement. It's about culture. It's, a, it's about quality, uh, building the business back and these kinds of things. And that's really been the journey of the last two years. And a, really, a lot of it is paying attention to those little things. You know, we think that we're going to start this engagement initiative and we think it's mm -hmm. going to take all kinds of time and a tons of money to do all these different surveys but it really comes down to some of the little things of just noticing trash and bathrooms, for example. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the things that you noticed along those lines and some of the other little things? Well, I'll share a story. In my uh, previous uh, assignment uh, before Spartanburg, you know, I went to that. That was another underperforming business, um, large million square foot plan, UAW, a thousand employees. And it, 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 was in a, it was in a tough spot. Um, I went there with the same task, really, to focus on improving the performance and results. And I, it was in my first week, I think day two, I met the, the leadership team, came into the boardroom, you know, welcomed the team, went around the table, got to know, know the team. And I, and I said, let's, let's go for a walk on the floor. You know, take me out. Let's walk through the plant. But really, my, my intention was to observe their behavior. I wanted to see how this, this, is the, this is the leadership team that ran the business. They are the ones. And I wanted to observe how they behaved as they walked through the facility. And so what I, what I did observe, of course, they, they broke every safety rule you could. So ear, you're supposed to have earplugs, eyeglasses, follow the walkways, cross it, walk proper walkways, and these kinds of things. They broke all of that, talking on their phones, cutting across aisles, earplugs hanging out. But the worst thing for me was, was walking by the garbage on the floor. So as we walked down the aisle and there was a pop can on the floor, a Coke can, all of them, there's 10 of them, all 10 proceeded to walk by that garbage can as I watched in horror, as I follow them. And I always walked at the back because my, my point was to observe behavior. And so I picked up the pop can and I continued to pick up garbage as we walked through the plant. I didn't see them engage any employees. So as they walked by employees, there was no engagement, no high five and how are you? Hello, how's your day? Uh, nothing. You know, we got back to the boardroom and, and uh, we came in and I said, you know, I, I've, I understand the problem in this, in this company. And they looked at me with a surprised look like I had some ultimate wisdom. And I said, it's you. It's every single one of you. You are the problem. You are the reason that this business is the way it is because you allow, you model the incorrect behavior, but you expect employees to follow the rules and you punish them for not following the rules. Yet you don't. You don't lead by example in any way, shape or form. So even the little things, if I knew they weren't doing the little things, I was guaranteed they weren't focused on the right things and the big things. And so of that 10, uh, eight of them left the organization in pretty, you know, in, in short order. And two of them, 
you know, were, were passionate people who care. They just, they just were overshadowed by the other eight. So they stayed with me and uh, we built a new leadership team and we got great results after that. But the little things, as you point out, Lisa, you know, and, and I think a lot of your listeners and, and leaders not, not miss this, but maybe don't give this as much credit as, as it's due. Simple things like picking up garbage and leading by example in your behavior every single day, the way in which you engage people or talk to people, listening to people, respect and dignity, walking through your shop floor, those people out there that are, that are doing the hard jobs, my job's easy, they're doing the tough job. And to, to listen to them and to respect them and, and hear them out and make sure that, that we're doing the things to, to help them be successful is critical. Things like coffee chats, one-on-ones, employee meetings, ask the president box, all kinds of different methods in which our employees can reach out and bring forth issues, ask questions, uh, and make sure that they've got clarity. But the little things matter. And, and, and uh, if I could just go one, one more point, and that's the bathrooms. You mentioned bathrooms. You know, it was the same situation in this last the last uh, assignment. As I walked through the plant, I went to the furthest bathroom I could find, which was an employee bathroom. And I was horrified with what I saw. Bathroom, the door stalls were ripped off. Like there was no stall, stall doors in the, in the, in the, where the toilets were. And there's graffiti written all over there about how much this company sucks and things like that. And, and again, I just knew right at that moment that, that this culture is, is what it is, but it's that because of management's behavior, bottom line. So bathrooms matter. And it's a sign of respect, frankly, you know, all, again, you have 400 people working in your facility. You want them to come to work, be safe. You want them to be engaged. You want them to perform. Well, you have to create an environment in which allows that to happen. And that's in organization, cleanliness, bright lights, clean bathrooms, proper facilities for lunch and and eating and things like that. That matters tremendously if you want to truly engage people. Yeah. And, and culture really does start at the top. So when you're walking through the plant and engaging, do you know your employees by name? Do they look at you and smile and wave? And like you said, give everybody a high five or at least an air high five right sure. now Right. <laughs> or when they're walking by or are your employees avoiding your glance because they don't know what you're going to say to them or they don't feel seen anyway. So that level of respect of looking at your forward-facing areas in the plant where your customers come in or uh, vendors come in, does that have the same level of cleanliness and brightness as the employee lounge, the employee lunchroom, the employee bathroom? A coat of paint can make a huge difference. And again, you know, a couple hundred bucks for a couple gallons of paint, and you've just made the place brighter and shown your employees that you appreciate them. Absolutely agree. It's that broken windows theory. I don't know if you if you Google that broken windows theory. It's an interesting philosophy that when you have disorder, it, the broken windows theory. If you think about a, a city, pick any city where you go into a, a, an area where they've got broken windows, maybe some poverty and other things. That environment creates or allows or signifies signals that the that disorder is acceptable. The opposite is true. When you go to a very organized, clean, safe place, people fall in line with that. People's behavior really is dictated by the environment in which they work or live, for example. We put a tremendous amount of effort in, in cleaning the facility here. I mean, polishing floors, putting all new LED lights in, uh, proper walkways, you know, giving the, the operators tools because we wanted to create an environment of expectation. You know, I walk through this facility now. Here's, here's a funny story. When we started this journey two years ago, 
the management team and myself, we would go on the floor every day, not sorry, every day, twice a week for an hour. And we would clean. We cleaned. Got, we got filthy, sweating. You know, we'd be picking up garbage because I wanted the, the employees to see how much, how important this truly was. And so I would lead this. I would personally lead this with the management team. We allowed, we created it because we allowed it. So we're going to fix it. So we would go out every week. And I tell you, you wouldn't believe the stuff that we'd throw out. It was incredible. I mean, garbage for years and just filth and, and everything like that. But we, we led that trans, transformation. And one of the things that really bothered me was chairs on the floor. This is a manufacturing operation where you've got welding and you've got stamping and assembly. There, there really is, there's really no place for having a chair, like a cafeteria chair out in a weld cell or those kinds of things. We, well, I, I threw out uh, 30 of them personally, I threw them into dumpsters. And what I, my point was, we, we want our people to rest, in, but there's, there's, we have proper areas that are air conditioned where employees go and sit down for lunch and they have rest areas and breaks and that kind of thing. But out on the shop floor, we didn't, we didn't want to have chairs because w- what that told me is that the culture of the company on the off shifts, for example, people were sitting around all the time. And sitting in chairs, and I and I didn't. That's not the message you want to have for your employees, nor for your customers. So we we corrected that. We cleaned up. My where I'm driving at is, you know, right now, if you walk through our plant at any point in time, you won't find garbage on the floor, and you won't find chairs on the floor. But that's not because I'm asking for it. It's because our employees now. That's that's the environment in which we work, and they pick up the garbage because they know it's an expectation now. And so by us leading that transformation personally, and we still do it, we go out there, we clean, we do these things. It's our people have really changed their behavior in line with the expectations and what our, the leaders have done in this business. Now let's back up just a little bit because you said that you had, when you were doing that initial walkthrough and there were 10 leaders um, that were walking with you and eight of them left almost immediately And that is part of the culture, obviously part of a very toxic culture that they were not able to reduce themselves or stoop to that level to clean up garbage or whatever it was. But share just kind of that experience, because no, in an in a market where labor is hard enough to find the thought of losing 10 managers can be terrifying, but then on the tail end, it also helped you to achieve your goal of what you need. You need to remove those toxic people. So kind of walk us through the thought processes that they were unwilling to move ahead with and how that all transpired. Yes. So, so we, if we back up to my previous assignment, this happened in 2016 um, with the eight managers that left the business. I, I, I truly believe that you know, I'm a people person and I'm a servant leader and I, and I, I put my leaders on a pedestal. I really truly work to serve them, to help them. But one thing that I, that I never allow and I'll never support is, is what you use the word toxic, which is exactly that managers that treat people poorly. And when I, the foundation of dignity and respect, when you're not respectful to employees, when you talk down to employees, when you can't, when you can't model proper behavior as a leader, following safety rules or engaging people. I don't care how good you are at your job from a functional or a tactical perspective. So you can be great at your tactical job, but you treat people horribly. I don't care. You won't work with me because you, you know, those people will never gain the trust of, of the people. And you have to have people's hearts and minds. If you want to have a culture of engagement and performance, you can browbeat people down. You can, you can beat people down for a short period of time. 
but it never ever lasts and it never works for a long time. So to your point, yes, it's difficult. And I, and it was not something I wanted to do, but it was something I had to do because those leaders were toxic in the organization and they were doing things that were improper and incorrect. And I, and I couldn't allow that to go on. And that's why they had to leave. And yes, you're right. And especially today, you know, it's very scary to lead, to lose leaders. Here's the difference in that, that toxic environment and those eight leaders left Yes, it was difficult for quite some time. You know, we, we struggled. We had to find people. We had to bring people up to speed. But at the end, after that hardship that we went through, the results that we got were fantastic. And the things that we changed with, with, the, with the union, the relationship with the UAW, was, it improved dramatically. With the employees, it improved dramatically. We did employee surveys that improved. I mean, because we had leaders that led by example and respected our people. That was the difference. Coming to Spartanburg, I didn't change any leaders here. So what, when I, the, the difference in Spartanburg when I came in is the senior leaders here were engaged. Um, they cared. They just were maybe, maybe didn't, weren't working in, in the right things per se, but they had the right DNA. They had the DNA of leadership and respect and dignity. We added, we added one. We moved one around. We made some minor changes, but nobody left the company no senior leader left the company. And so if a, an owner or leader is considering and thinking about their management teams, and I know part of it is a gut feel, mm -hmm. but what are some of the ways that you determine that that manager has that DNA that if, they don't, if they're not perfect now, that at least you see the opportunity to work with them, to bring out those skills, to in, increase their level of connection with their employees? It, it's um, a couple of things. You know, for me, it's, it's, more, it's more gut. It's more observation. It's more questions. It's more getting to know them. You know, get, their, get to know who they truly are as, as a person. There are tools. We've, we've used tools like DISC and other assessments and things that can give us a kind of a, a predictor of someone's behavior as a leader. So we have some indication of their typical way or styles. But I, I personally depend far more on the person and getting to know them, spending time with them, getting even, you know, I go as far as getting to know their spouse and them, you know, we, we will set up some kind of offsites and different things where we can meet the family, like families, and we can just get to know each other as people and truly understand who they are. Uh, but, but it's observing how they interact with their people is one big one, right? Listening to how they engage with their peers, listening to how they work with their employees, you know, and observing them in their work environment. So when they're in their element and they're working and observing and, and seeing how they do, they do they listen? Do they actively participate? Do they ask questions? Do they, do they follow up? That's a simple thing. Like you, again, go back to the simple things. Following up. On, on employee questions or concerns is one of the things I think gets missed so often. Here's my perspective. I was an hourly shop floor employee as a young man. So I started my first job at Sterling or Freightliner Trucks at, on the shop floor as an hourly employee. And so my perspective of leadership was really to observe poor leaders and great leaders, but I got, the, I got a wide variety of leaders in my, in my life and both were truly valuable. I got to see all the things that you should never do and all the things that you should do as a leader. So as an hourly employee, one of the simple things, I would always ask a lot of questions, just that, I just, that was my personality. So I would, my supervisor would come by and I'd say, hey, you know, what about this? Or can you, can you follow up and, and find out this for me? And oh, yeah, yeah, no problem. Never got a response. 
he'd see me the next day and I'd wait. And then I'd question him two or three days. Or, oh yeah. Yeah. I'll get back with you. Nothing. And this went on and on and on. And it drove me crazy because I thought I'm here. I am as an employee. And I, I, I just asking a simple question. I can't get an answer. Right. So I realized uh, as I progressed through my career that when employees have a question, it's something that's important to them. It's, it's of importance to them that they're trying to understand as a leader you, you own that. When you, when you accept you know, a question from your employees, whatever it is, you have to follow up. Now, as I tell my leaders, you don't have to say yes. We can say no, but you have to explain. You still owe them an explanation. We don't have to agree. We can agree to disagree. But at the end of the day, Dignity and Respect Foundation is following up and, and going back to your employees. And that's another one I think gets missed often. But anyway, back to your, to your question, observation, questions, listening, observing the DNA is really obvious if they've got the right intentions and they're doing the right things. Maybe they're struggling in some areas, they need some help, but you know, deep down, they've got the right DNA to be a leader. And is there anything that you invest in as far as um, specific training, bringing in trainers, sending them out for training, encouraging lunch and learns or on-site learning with each other. What, what are you doing to make sure that your leaders are keeping their skills up? Yes, we, that's a great question. We, we do a number of different things. Um, we've partnered with some, off, some outside services where we'd send our leaders for a week at a time. So they have two different, they have um, element one and element two. So they'll do two different weeks of training, which is all let leadership, leadership stuff, tools to use and these kinds of things. Uh, I mentioned surveys and different things. We also have, we'll use DISC, but we use some other assessment tools that give them feedback. We do 360s. So myself and my senior leaders will do 360s on each other annually, uh, performance feedback. So a lot of different things. Our, our parent company has got some relationships with some different uh, leadership training uh, services that we use as well. So we do a lot, of, a lot of different things across the board, yes. And what about for the uh, opportunities for the rest of the employees besides your leadership team? Do, yep. What kind of things do you have open for them? Yeah, that's an area where we have to improve. You know, we, we definitely believe in training. We'll, we will end up hiring a training coordinator here to help us with that. We do have training. We've got, you know, we do an orientation. We've got annual types of training for crane safety, uh, harassment, all, all, the, all the standard types of trainings. Where we need to improve is how we help our people progress through the organization. So how do I grow? If I'm in a certain role, what are the different elements of training that I can take to grow? So that's what our HR team is focused on right now is providing that. We have some, but we don't do a good enough job at this point in time. We need to do better with our employees. Well, and that's a key. It's like you can't be perfect at everything all the time. Sure. But when you're starting with your culture at the top and you're focusing on that dignity, that respect of knowing your employees, of having those one-on-one -on -one conversations, and then you know, looking at different ways to bring some of that training and, and professional and personal development into the plant at all levels, you know, all of these things take time to do. Nothing changes overnight, but it's just knowing the things that will help and, and making the effort to do so. Because employees are always taking a look at, they're, they're always watching what you're doing and how they fit into the picture. Great point you raised there. And that's what I, I remind this leadership team often is that when we walk on the shop floor, our employees are watching everything we do everything all the time. And that's why it's so critical that our behavior is always the, at the highest level, 
leading by example in every, every single way. And again, back to picking up garbage. If our employees are observing us doing that, they understand that this, yeah, that is the expectation. And the opposite is true too. If we walk by the garbage or we don't wear our safety glasses, we're signaling to them it's not important. Or I don't have to, but you do, which is not true. And we should never act in that way. Right, exactly. Because I know a lot of times when I'm working with plants, I had one in particular that always comes back to me that they had me come in for four programs for the hourly employees and one for leadership, but the leadership wasn't until the afternoon. And without exception, every group of employees that came in there was like, was our managers going to do this too? Our managers going to go this through? (laughs) Because they don't want it to be one more program that they're subjected to that management is either not participating in or they're participating, I'm saying with air quotes, as they're sitting at the back of the room on their computers, checking their emails, pretending to pay attention. And everybody in that room knows that they're not. Yeah. So. Isn't it interesting how the, how the, the, these comments and things are so common across so many different industries. Yeah. I've heard the same thing, exactly the same thing when we've offered training and I've been the one that's like, say, went in and kicked off the training. And the first question from the employees is, are you, you going to put your managers through this too? Going to put your supervisors through this as well? Yes, we will. But the point being, right, they see the need as employees. They definitely see the need that that the, the managers, the supervisors need this training as well. So, yeah, it's it's uh, it's interesting how that how that's so common. And one of the things, too, that I talk about in my programs is the stay interview, which is really those one-on-one conversations that it sounds like you're already having with your employees. Because in my world, you know, the exit interview is a little late, you know, like, why are you leaving? Right. But if you're having those regular conversations, what do you like about working here? What do you change? What, uh, let me see the world from your perspective. So when you are having those one-on-ones, you know, what do those, how do those conversations look? How often do they take place? Are they formal, informal? What are you doing? Yeah, informal. Now, in my past life, I did a, a more formal. One of my assignments uh, when I went back as a general manager in Canada, I met with 550 employees one on one for 30 minutes, which was an wow. epic undertaking. You're not kidding. Uh, no, and I I announced it at an employee meeting, and then I thought about it after. <laughs> I realized, wow, this is this is going to take me some time. So I I had my my admin help me set it up. I went on their shift. So I went to the third shift, second shift, first shift. I, I came to them. We sat for 30 minutes and it was very, it was very formal. I, you know, I sat down, I said, listen, my name's Mark. And this is when I just had arrived to the plant within probably three months of being there. You know, I said, my name's Mark, um, you know, I'm married, have kids, blah, blah, blah. A little bit about myself. I said, the purpose of this meeting is just to get to know each other. I just want to know about you, your family, whatever you're willing to share, I'll do the same. And at the end, we'll talk about expectations. And so it, it was very interesting. 550 people I saw, I had people cry. I had people laugh. I had a handful that didn't want to say anything. I saw every variety of everything. What I learned through that was that people, they, you know, when I asked about what their expectations were of me, most were shocked that I would ask that question, but they would say, well, just tell me if I'm doing something wrong. And I, it struck me, it was probably 60% plus said that to me. And I always thought, geez, I wonder why they need or want to know if something's wrong or why they, why is that so important at this point? I didn't realize it. So, and I, and when I came to the conclusion that we weren't giving feedback to the employees, we weren't sharing information. We weren't telling them how they were performing. We weren't, these kinds of things weren't happening. And so they were longing to understand, am I doing a good job or not doing a good job? And I, that, that always stuck with me. So I was more formal then I do it more informal now. Um, you know, where I just do them randomly. 
Um, new employees, I always meet with new employees and I'll sit down and just get to know them. Like I attend the orientations and things like that, uh, but they're more informal now. And what I try to create in these one-on-ones, it's just a very relaxed, just, hey, what's going on? I don't want to talk about work, you know, unless they want to talk about work. If they want to bring up something, uh, I, I talk about that, but I try to, I try to make it a more relationship conversation where just tell me about yourself. Hey, what's, what hobbies do you do? Tell me about your kids. You know, people want to talk about their children. They want to talk about their grandkids. They want to talk about their hobbies. So I just listen, we share and we find a lot of common ground and things like that. There are some that just want to talk business and they, they have a beef or something like that. And want to concern. And then we talk about that, but I do find that connecting with your people and listening and doing these one-on-ones is a great, a great way. And it's just, it's just a human thing. It's just getting to sit down, be two people, have a coffee, whatever, and just talk. Right. And that sense of loyalty and knowing you as the company president, you know, you're seen differently from anybody else in the planet. It's like, wow, he knows my name. And that's the important thing. And they can go somewhere else and maybe make a little bit more money. But if they are just another cog in the wheel who doesn't get that same level of respect that they felt with you and, you know, the company leadership has nothing to do with them. And, you know, maybe there's trash around and bad bathrooms. Chances are good that they're going to come back work for less money than they potentially could get because they feel respected. They feel heard and they feel, they feel seen. Absolutely. Uh, and, and, and I'm just another person. It's <laughs> the funny thing is I'm just another guy. I'm not, I'm not a superhero or anything. I'm just a guy. I got a family. I got my own issues and things like that. And I think as I, as I can connect with them more on a people level, they understand that, yeah, my job is different, but it doesn't mean that I'm better than you, that I'm different than you. We're just two people with two different functions and we can figure this out and we can work together and show that dignity and respect. I had a funny, you reminded me of a, of a funny story. When I went to that plant in Canada, there was the general manager and the AGMs had two of their reserved parking spots right in front of the office. So you could walk right in the door. And I, I just always thought, and it probably comes from my being an hourly employee in my career. And just, I think differently. And I, I remember the first day I got there and I see this parking spot. I'm like, I'm not parking there. Why, why should I get this preferred parking spot? That's a hundred feet closer than every other employee gets to park that they all get to park it way out in the parking lot. And I get this really nice front parking spot. I thought this is insane. I can't, I'm not doing that. So I, within a couple of days, I made it the employee of the month parking spot. Mm-hmm. And I parked out with the employees beside them a hundred feet away, because again, you know, simple things, but I'm not better than you. And, and I, and why, and what that signals to me is that I'm more important. And so I should get a preferred parking spot. Well, no, I don't think so. The employee of the month should get the, a better parking spot, not me. Well, and it also gives you the opportunity to create those collisions as you're walking from your car into the plant, you're going to collide with other employees and have conversations that you're not going to have if you walk a hundred feet to the door. Sure. Yeah, of course. Simple things. Yeah, exactly. Well, as we're getting to the end of our time together, Mark, what would you say would be your best tip as far as super supercharging a company's culture? If you're a leader, um, be, be genuine. Be genuine in what you do. Be passionate and be genuine. Listen to people. It's not one thing. It's, it's a couple of things. And it's, it's really, if, you, if every decision you make and every behavior that you model is built upon dignity and respect for others, you will be very successful as a leader because you put people in front of you and you think about their dignity and the respect that you give them, your, your behavior will be in line with that. 
that's that's the most powerful thing you can do in changing culture. If you are a leader and you have influence, you know, be genuine about that job and care about the people, listen to them, act upon their feedback, follow up with them. These are the kind of things that will that will elevate you as a leader, but also bring your people to a different level in performance. Absolutely. Well, you have given us so much great information. If somebody would like to continue the conversation with you, Mark, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Yeah, they, anybody can reach me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm I'm on there and I respond uh, to people when they when they reach out, and I can continue a conversation uh, through through LinkedIn if they choose. They can look at our website uh, if you just Google Spartanburg Steel Products. Um, but the best way to get me is uh, LinkedIn. All right, awesome. Well, again, Mark, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Lisa. I'm Lisa Ryan, and this is the Manufacturers Network podcast. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Hey, do me a favor. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Also, feel free to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues so we can grow the network and connect more fantastic folks just like you. You can either go to the website at manufacturers-network.com or share the podcast on your LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you and your industry friends hang out. The bigger and faster we grow this network, the stronger and deeper community we will have. I appreciate you. Thank you.